Hello, and welcome to the Real Beal Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Beal. My wife told me that I'm so full of random information that I should start a podcast as a release. So I did. Each week, I'll be discussing a topic that I find interesting, and hopefully, you'll find it interesting too. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the Real Beal Podcast. The podcast is doing really well. We're officially available on Apple Podcasts, which makes me so proud. It's the little things. We're getting listeners on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple, which is pretty sweet. But I think the coolest part of it all is that we have one listener from Guyana. Now, I don't know who this person is, but it's pretty sweet to know that we have a global audience. But if it's someone who just lists their location as Guyana, please don't tell me. I want to keep this illusion alive. It makes me feel good. It feeds my ego. But most importantly, we got our first suggestion for a podcast topic. Remember, if you want to submit a topic or give a suggestion for a guest on the podcast, you can do so using the link in the description. It's super easy. It's anonymous. It takes 30 seconds max. It's just a Google form that you fill out and submit. Please do it. I want to know what people want to hear about or people to get my opinions on. And if we're being honest, I'm running out of ideas of what to talk about. Now, I know I said I created this podcast because I'm full of useless information. But weirdly enough, when it comes to sitting down and talking about this information, my mind goes blank. I have no idea what to talk about. So please, please, please submit a topic or even a suggestion for who you want to hear instead of me or who you want to hear with me that might make it more entertaining. Now, the topic that was suggested was to address some misconceptions about the immigration system and immigrants in general. So I've identified what I think are the five most common misconceptions, and I'm going to briefly address each of them. Now, these misconceptions come from a variety of sources. I've heard them from people that I know. I've heard them on TV. I've seen them in books. I've seen them on social media. These are misconceptions that you've probably heard, um, that maybe you believed. And I just want to clear clear this up for some people. I am not an immigration lawyer yet. I don't know if I can claim to be an expert on immigration, but I think it's safe to say that I am very familiar with the topic and know more about the immigration system and the status of immigrants than most people. So I feel I'm qualified to talk about this. But I don't want to get too into the weeds here, so I'm going to keep my explanations brief. But if you want to learn more, feel free to reach out to me directly. And I want to begin by saying that what I'm going to share is not just my personal opinion. This is data from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, the Social Security Administration, the Pew Research Center, the National Academies of Science, the Urban Institute, the Cato Institute, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the American Immigration Council, and the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, which is a part of the Department of Homeland Security. Now, the first misconception that I want to talk about is that undocumented immigrants are a drain on the welfare system. This is a common one. This is one I hear a lot. Undocumented immigrants 
do not qualify for welfare, food stamps, Medicaid, or most other public benefits, including federal student aid. Most government assistance programs require proof of legal immigration status, and even legal immigrants cannot receive many benefits until they have been in the United States for more than five years. Beyond that, receiving these welfare benefits can have negative immigration effects for some people. Now, undocumented immigrants can receive public schooling and emergency medical care. Supreme Court has said so. But a recent report by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce states that these expenditures on health care and education for children are investments that will eventually pay off later when those children become workers and taxpayers. And numerous studies have found that legal immigrants pay more in taxes than they receive in government services and benefits. And what I think is very interesting is that legal immigrants use federal public benefit programs at lower rates than U.S.-born citizens. So are undocumented immigrants a drain on the welfare system? No. Are legal immigrants a drain on the welfare system? No. So this misconception, while common, doesn't really have any kind of ground. Second, immigrants don't pay taxes. Fun fact, households led by immigrants contributed a total of $308.6 billion in federal taxes and $150 billion in combined state and local taxes in 2018. And undocumented immigrants are taxpayers too. They pay sales and property tax, and many pay income tax. Undocumented immigrants in the United States paid an estimated $20.1 billion in federal taxes and $11.8 billion in combined state and local taxes in 2018. Now, the Social Security Administration estimates that undocumented immigrants contribute about $12 billion each year to the cash flow of the program without receiving benefits in return. Undocumented immigrants cannot draw Social Security benefits of any kind because of their immigration status, but they still contribute $12 billion to the program every year. And in 2015, 4.4 million people paid $23.6 billion in total taxes using an Individual Taxpayer Identification Number, or ITIN. An ITIN is a tax processing number that's issued by the IRS to ensure that people can pay taxes even if they don't have a social security number. Now, this is used by undocumented immigrants so that they can work places and still pay taxes. This allows them to get jobs and contribute to society and pay these taxes while they're working and they paid $23.6 billion in taxes using that number in 2015. Also, DACA recipients and those who meet DACA eligibility paid an estimated $1.7 billion in combined state and local taxes alone in 2018. So, do immigrants pay taxes? Oh, big time. Most of them, the undocumented ones at least, 
can't even draw benefits from the taxes that they pay, but they pay them anyways, billions of dollars every year. Number three, immigrants bring crime. Now, research shows that high rates of immigration are associated with lower rates of violent crime and property crime. And this holds true for both documented and undocumented immigrants. For example, from 1990 to 2013, immigration in the United States increased significantly, including the number of undocumented immigrants, which more than tripled. But during that same time period, violent crime in the United States declined by 48%. Now, the reasons for lower crime rates among immigrants isn't fully understood. One theory is that people who choose the intense emotional and social sacrifice that comes with migrating are less likely to engage in risky or criminal behavior that would put their new lives in danger. Another theory is that immigrants revitalize neighborhoods and generate economic growth, which helps decrease the crime rate. Now, this was a very common misconception recently, but it's just not true. Immigrants do not bring crime. The data is very clear. The fourth misconception, immigrants steal jobs. You hear this one a lot. But the truth is most immigrants do not compete with U.S. born workers. Instead, Immigrants usually compete with the migrants who came before them. Many immigrants with legal authorization to work in the United States are highly skilled and sought after by U.S. companies because of shortages in the native-born skill base. So to get an employment visa, a way to become a permanent resident in the United States through your employer, usually that employer has to show that they have posted a job opening and they have tried to hire people already in the United States but cannot find qualified workers. And that's why they then have to seek outside the United States to bring in these workers. Now, economists find that highly skilled immigrants have a significant positive impact on creating new jobs in the United States. But what about undocumented immigrants? Well, undocumented immigrants often fill the lowest rung of employment in places like construction, agriculture, and domestic services. Studies show that low-skilled immigrant workers and low-skilled native-born workers take on very different jobs, with native-born workers taking jobs that require work authorization and English language skills while these undocumented, low-skilled workers take the opposite kinds of jobs. So do immigrants steal jobs? No. They are a part of the workforce, but they are filling jobs that would have largely been unfilled without them. Our fifth and final misconception, and one that is a important one to me, kind of like a pet project to me, as someone who's going to be an immigration lawyer, is that undocumented immigrants should have waited in line 
or come the right way. This is one you hear a lot, and it's mostly born from people's misunderstandings of how immigration law operates. So here's some things you need to understand. First, the law creates very, very narrow categories of eligibility to come to the United States in the first place. Most people immigrate to the United States through one of three routes, family relationships, job offers, or humanitarian grounds. Both family and employment-based immigration are limited to specific situations and relationships. Humanitarian protection is only available to certain categories of people. All three routes are expensive, complicated, and narrow. Most immigrants do not have the necessary family or employment relationships and often cannot get humanitarian protection. Therefore, even if immigrants have family and jobs in the United States or are fleeing persecution back home, these three routes may not be available to them. Second, even eligible immigrants face significant obstacles. Immigrants eligible for one of the three routes often face significant obstacles. Under the law, no country can receive more than 7% of the visas available each year. Therefore, people from countries such as Mexico, China, India, and the Philippines, who often have U.S. citizen family members, are most interested in immigrating to the United States, usually have a very long wait. Often, this can easily exceed 20 years, depending on their family relationship and their country of origin. Some categories coming from Mexico are even close to being 30-year waits to come into the United States. These people are eligible, they are approved, and they're told, okay, you gotta wait your turn. By the way, it's going to be three decades before you get to come in. Third, Immigrants already in the United States often have no legal way to correct their status. Once somebody has entered the United States without authorization or has overstayed their visa, the law typically prohibits them from getting legal status. To get legal status, they'll usually have to leave the United States first, return to their country of origin. When this happens, they may be banned from returning to the United States for up to 10 years, depending on how long they were in the United States without authorization. This may be true even if they're married to a U.S. citizen and have U.S. citizen children. Now, there are some very, very, very limited exceptions to this rule, and they only apply to select groups of people. But the general rule is, if you were already in the United States, and you are without authorization, either because you entered without authorization or you overstayed a visa, there is no way to fix your status without leaving the United States. You gotta leave, and then you have to go through this inadmissibility period, which can be short sometimes, but often very, very long. And the last thing you need to know is that the rules surrounding immigration have changed dramatically. We like to think back to our immigrant past in the United States, but the fact of the matter is that immigration law has changed dramatically over the past 100 years. It's become so extremely complex and confusing 
that most of the people who came to the United States more than 75 years ago would not be eligible under our current immigrant laws. Our immigrant past with Ellis Island that we love to reflect on of our immigrant ancestors coming to the United States, most of them wouldn't be allowed to if they were to try to come today. So when we talk about, oh, you should just come the right way, it's almost impossible for a lot of people. If you don't have family already in the United States and you're not a skilled worker and you're not being persecuted and are a refugee, you're not getting in. If you do have family in the United States, you might get in depending on the relationship or you will get granted, but you're going to have to wait 20 years. Now, maybe you came into the United States without authorization and you married a U.S. citizen. Congratulations. But guess what? You're most likely going to have to leave the United States and wait outside the United States for a pretty significant time period before we'll let you come back in as a resident. Now, there are very, very, very narrow exceptions. And I want to stress how narrow those exceptions are. They are not common, but they do exist. But the truth is, if you don't fall nicely into one of our three categories, you cannot get in. No exceptions. And even if you fall in one of those categories, specifically if you fall in the family relationship category, your wait might be so long that you might as well not come anyways. So when people are approved and said, yes, you will get a visa, you will be a resident, but it's gonna be 28 years, very specific example. But if you're coming from Mexico, you are married and your parents are US citizens, the current wait is 28 years. So if you're in that situation, you're told, yes, you can come to the United States, you can live in the same country as your parents, you can be a permanent resident, but you've got to wait 28 years. What's the point? And this is why people don't wait in line like they're told, or they don't come the right way like we want them to, because it's just not feasible, and sometimes it's just flat out impossible. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Real Deal Podcast. Hopefully this episode has made you consider your notions about immigration and immigrants. Many of the things that you hear in the news or on social media or from others are plainly incorrect. Unless that person is an immigration lawyer, works in immigration, or studies it extensively, chances are they don't know the full story. The Real Deal Podcast is an individual project. I am the writer, host, editor, producer, sound technician, snack director, and dog walker. But most importantly, thanks to my wife, Lily, for giving me the motivation to create this podcast in the first place. Thanks for listening. Suggest a topic or guest using the link in the description. I'll see you next time. Keep it real, Beal.